Good morning. My name is Michael McCusker. I start today's program with a revision of an earlier broadcast which I wrote. 334 years ago, on December 16, 1689, the English Parliament adopted a Bill of Rights that proclaimed that all English citizens possessed certain invisible civil and political rights, quote-unquote, and which also cataloged the conditions for the prospective kings or queens for ascending the throne. Exactly a century later, plus three years, American revolutionaries followed their successful abolition of king and crown with their own Bill of Rights on December 15, 1791. And five days earlier, 157 years afterward, on December 10, 1948, three years after the end of history's worst war, World War II, the fledgling United Nations adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. While the American Bill of Rights are the fundamental laws of the United States, the UN Declaration of Human Rights act more aspirational for humanity in general, but not its reality quite yet. And the chief person responsible for the UN Declaration of Human Rights was Eleanor Roosevelt. Among the most essential provision of both documents, the U.S. Bill of Rights and the Universal Bill of Rights are all humans are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act toward one another in a spirit of humanhood. And that's the UN Article 1. Everyone is entitled to all rights and freedoms without distinction of any kind, such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth, or other status. And that's UN Article 2. No laws shall be made respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free expression thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition for a redress of grievance. And that's the U.S. First Amendment. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change religion or belief, either alone or in community with others, and to hold opinions without interference, and to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. And that's United Nations Articles 18 and 19. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. That's UN Article 3. 
the rights of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search shall not be violated. And that's the U.S. Fourth Amendment. No one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. And that's UN Article 4. Everyone has the right to work, to free choice of employment, to just and favorable conditions of work, and to protection against unemployment. Everyone without any discrimination has the right to equal pay for equal work. And that's UN Article 23. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury of peers, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against themselves, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And that is the U.S. Fifth Amendment. No one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. UN Article 5. Everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. UN Article 6. No law shall be passed granting to any citizen or class of citizen privileges or immunities which upon the same terms shall not equally belong to all citizens. And that's from the Oregon State Constitution Bill of Rights. Some of you who are listening might notice that these articles and amendments have been somewhat scrambled between the U.S. Bill of Rights and the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And that last provision from the Oregon State Constitution Bill of Rights seems pertinent. And the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is the due process and equal protection, quote-unquote, glue that binds universal and national human rights together. Section 1. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty, or property without due process of law, nor to deny to any person within its jurisdiction the protection of the laws. And Section 5 of Article 14. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. The Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment has been the force for applying nearly all of the specific guarantees of the first ten amendments, our beloved Bill of Rights. Former President Donald Trump 
hit a brick wall with the 14th Amendment when he attempted to disclaim birthright citizenship, quote-unquote, despite his threats and bluster of executive privilege. Listeners might also notice that in neither documents, articles, or amendments mentioned is a provision for equal rights between women and men. The U.S. Bill of Rights neglects gender equality, and the closest the U.N. Human Rights Declaration gets is Article 16, in which both genders of full age, quote-unquote, have a right to marry, quote, without any limitation due to race, nationality, or religion, unquote, and are, a quote again, entitled to equal rights as to marriage, during marriage, and at its dissolution. This article ignores same-sex marriage, which is at least finally recognized in the USA, but remains bitterly opposed by the deposed president and the disaffected Republican Party, both of which openly despise democracy. An equal rights amendment to the Constitution, which is, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, has failed at least twice and seems dead before arrival for the indeterminate future, especially while women's constitutional rights to abortion are under mortal assault by the aforementioned Republican democracy oppositionists. This pernicious denial of equal human rights to women and that their half of the human race is unequal and subordinate to the male half is a persistent malignancy. It has been chronic throughout history, especially when muscle and force have brutally and insensitively held intelligence and sensitivity in thrall, despite every declaration of liberty and justice. The final analysis is that human rights, like everything else, reverberate throughout humanity's entire history. The ancient yin and yang of either ruthlessly accumulating power and privilege for the few or establishing and extending rights and liberties to all of humanity. Democracy works only and at any and every level if the people involved and impacted participate in the necessary choices. Otherwise, our single option is to obey because we have disenfranchised ourselves. And that was the Bill of Rights from the USA and the United Nations the International Bill of Rights with one addition from Oregon's Bill of Rights. This is Michael McCusker. Joanne Rideout again engineers this program. As we once more enter the annual season of goodwill toward everybody, it might be appropriate to evaluate the use of the word vermin by former president of the USA, Donald Trump.
he used the V word in a speech on Veterans Day, another V of vile villainy as a result of wars. Trump emphatically declared that if he were to be re-elected president, he would, quote, root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, unquote. To be taken in context, when he was president, he also declared that he should be the decider of citizenship rather than the constitutional birthright it has been for the life of the republic. The late H.L. Mencken aptly described the phenomenon a century ago when he wrote in 1920, a democracy is perfected. The office of the president represents more and more closely the inner soul of the people. On some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last, and the White House will be occupied by a downright fool and complete narcissistic moron, quote, unquote, H.L. Mencken, the great curmudgeon. At the very beginning of the USA, after Imperial England sailed away in revolutionary defeat, Benjamin Franklin, who was not quoted as often as other Yankee Doodle originals, said we have a republic if we are able to keep it. And he warned that it would ultimately end, quote, when the people become so corrupted as to need despotic government, being incapable of any other, unquote. And that was Benjamin Franklin. The grotesque rise of Trump and his blatant attempt to regain by insurrection his loss of power by popular vote reveals the incessant danger such irrational, compulsive megalomania combined with narcissistic misanthropy is to America's future. And the volatile threat of humanity's annihilation by such reactionary racists and autocratic fascists who persist in their monstrous new model final solution. From the start of his sordid retrogressive presidency, Donald Trump aggressively attempted to dismantle democracy and reimpose the twin evils of male supremacy and home-style fascism. We might find historical precedents by researching similar megalomaniacal demons. The twin Roman demons Caligula and Nero come quickly to mind. Trump's calling human beings vermin should be to an overwhelming number of American citizens exactly what he thinks of them, as well as his intent to abolish constitutional government. He is an autocratic crackpot and is most likely a laughingstock of most real deal monsters. Erase his dynastic family wealth, initially attained through Alaska Gold Rush brothels, he is literally a verminous rodent. If anyone should be tried for treason, 
it is Donald Trump, whose ranting and violent attempt to overthrow elective democratic governance has been based on lies and a baldly despotic intent to undermine the election he lost by a majority vote of American citizens. And he blatantly scorns the peaceful exchange of power that distinguishes democracy from the verminous rule of despots. Trump's use of the word, calling human beings vermin, should convince an overwhelming majority of American citizens exactly what he thinks of them, as well as his intent to abolish constitutional government. He claims he will be a dictator for only a day with a barely concealed smirk. Happy Bill of Rights Day. And now, by Volker Schlecht, Alexander Lal, and Max Munch. As frogs disappear worldwide, there is no way to stop that killer. Mysterious deaths have occurred all over the planet and followed a similar pattern. Why have so many species vanished? And what does it all have to do with us? We met the ecologist Karen Lips in Washington, D.C. one morning. She picked us up from a metro station and took us to Shenandoah National Park, keen to show us a species of salamander. Dr. Lips describes herself as an amphibian forensic scientist. For decades, she has been researching the disappearance of amphibian species, and what she told us that day was shocking. As filmmakers, we have covered the extinction of species and other ecological issues in our work for years. Mammals, reptiles, insects, fish, much of the planet's wild fauna is threatened with extinction, but no other vertebrate class is as threatened as amphibians. Herpetologists like Dr. Lips don't just fear for individual species. They fear for the class amphibia as a whole. No one else we had met and interviewed on this subject seemed to be as affected by it as Dr. Lips. To put it simply, frogs, salamanders, and all amphibians are her life. For her, their increasing disappearance from our planet is a personal drama. We finally found a few of the salamanders toward the end of our day up in the mountains. We were delighted at seeing them, but also disheartened. Dr. Lips had no doubt that they, too, could soon vanish. That night, full of emotion, we interviewed Dr. Lips, who is the voice of this documentary that we have filmed. This is about much more than frogs and salamanders. It is about all life on our planet. And that is, as frogs disappear worldwide, there is no way to stop that killer. By Volker Schlecht, Alexander Lal, and Max Monk. And that was from the New York Times.
And now, by Trip Gabriel, who wrote this for the New York Times, Karen Davis, who battled for the rights of birds, dies at 79. Karen Davis, an animal rights activist who led campaigns to recognize the dignity of chickens, turkeys, and other farmyard fowl, and whose fervor was such that she compared the industrial slaughter of poultry to the Holocaust, died on November 4th at her sanctuary for rescued chickens in Machipongo, Virginia. She was 79. United Poultry Concerns the advocacy group Ms. Davis founded and led announced that she died surrounded by her beloved birds but did not cite a cause. The animal rights movement was well established when Ms. Davis became an activist in the 1980s, but she expanded its reach by advocating on behalf of commercially raised poultry, which were low on the list of other activist priorities because of their ubiquity on the American table, and also, at least in part, because of their limited ability to elicit sympathy. In our culture, fowl is ignored by the animal protectionist community, Ms. Davis said at a candlelight vigil in 1992 at a farm in Virginia where customers could reserve a Thanksgiving turkey. We are talking about a universe of pain and suffering that far exceeds virtually all other animals combined, she said. A fierce campaigner whose dedication to her cause could turn conversations into lectures and overshadowed her career as a college English teacher, Ms. Davis raised awareness through protests, speeches, a newsletter, poultry press, books, and newspaper columns. Many people are surprised to learn that turkeys have a zest for living and enjoying the day, she wrote in a column that appeared in the York Daily Record in York, Pennsylvania, in 1994. She went on to note that commercial farms confined turkeys to three square feet where, she claimed, they develop respiratory diseases, ulcerated feet, blistered breasts, and ammonia-burned eyes. In 2014, she protested America's traditional Thanksgiving dinner outside the White House before the ceremonial pardoning of two turkeys by President Barack Obama. She campaigned against kaparov, a ritual practiced by some Orthodox Jews in which chickens are swung overhead and killed as an act of atonement ahead of Yom Kippur. In 2002, Ms. Davis was inducted into the U.S. Animal Rights Hall of Fame for, quote, outstanding contributions to animal liberation, unquote. Her work helped humans recognize that chickens, who are among the most abused individuals on the planet, have thoughts, feelings, and hopes for a pain-free existence, just as we do. Ingrid Newkirk the president of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, wrote in a blog post after Ms. David's death. And that was by Trip Gabriel. Karen Davis, who battled for the rights of birds, dies 
at 79. And he wrote this for the New York Times. You've been listening to A Story Told on KMUN, featuring Michael McCusker, journalist, activist, former firefighter, and Vietnam veteran. Michael has been sharing essays and poetry on a story told for decades on KMUN. For 30 years, he published the North Coast Times-Eagle newspaper out of his home in Astoria, Oregon. Michael currently shares his work and the works of other authors from his home on the Central Oregon coast. Join us here next week for a story told.